Amen. You may be seated. Back to Second Chronicles 31, <clears throat> right in verse 1. Now, here's what we're going to be looking at. As I said, Hezekiah is the king of Judah, and he's been doing a lot of great work there. He's been cleansing the, the temple. The temple was, you know, kind of... Um, Oh man, it's just been in disarray, it's been shut down. Well, Hezekiah has come and he's opened it up. They've begun to cleanse it. They've begun to, to reinstitute and celebrate the Passover feast that had been neglected for so long. So there's a lot of great things that are going on. And so this morning as we look into these passages here, we're going to be looking at three things. We're going to see how they continued in devotion. All right, in chapter 31, they've continued in devotion. In chapter 32, we're going to see that they are countering the enemy and they are counting on God. All right, so continued in devotion, countered the enemy and continued or counted on God. Countering the enemy, counted on God, chapter 32. So look at verse 1 of chapter 31. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and they broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession, and Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feasts as it, was, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 4, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So here again, we just continue to see Hezekiah giving great instruction about just renewing their walk with the Lord and doing the right things, right? So now not only have they come and they spent 15 days, remember, cleansing inside the temple, cleansing outside the temple, now celebrating the Passover, not for one week as was tradition, but for two weeks because they're just like, man, this has been good. We've, we've not been experiencing this for a while and they were glad and they just continued on in worship. Well, now Hezekiah is encouraging them to go out now. Go out unto your, the, the rest of the cities. Don't let this just remain in Jerusalem. Let this go out to the rest of the cities, even to your own homes. And take care of business that's out there. If there are, are, are idols that people have been worshiping, if there are, are places, pagan places, where people have been worshiping false gods, just go out there and destroy it. So the idea is that let's not keep this just inward. Let's not just let this remain in Jerusalem. Let's see this spread out. Isn't that what Jesus has called us to do? To go out, right? Command you to, to go out and make disciples, to go out into your towns, your communities, your neighborhoods, your home, and let this continue on. What we're experiencing here in worship and seeking the Lord. May we go out to our homes and to our neighborhoods, to our communities and say, man, I want to see just a revival breaking out here. I want to see the good things of God continuing on uh, in my area, right? And so they're just going out, not just to the cities you know, around Jerusalem, as it said, but now to their homes. And they're just taking care of business. I love that. 
And I pray that we're people that are not just, you know, reserving our times of worship for right here on Sundays in church where we think, well, this is when we get our, you know, our, our religion on. This is when we really put on a good... But no, it's not just Sundays, but that when we're coming, we're being encouraged, we're being strengthened, we're being fed, but so that we can continue on to live this out and show Jesus in our homes and in our neighborhoods, communities, in our workplaces, wherever we are. And they're taking care of business, crushing down idols. And so, I mean, if you've got a neighbor that's got, you know, a statue of an idol out there, I mean, I'm not saying go and break it down, maybe, you know, bury it in the ground, just leave a little bit of it showing so he knows it's still there. But, you know, you can do what you feel led to do. But just taking care of these things, right? I mean, that's such a a blessing to do. And I love, you know, verse 4. He commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and Levites. So just, you know, circle that, underline it, put it on your fridge. That's just a good thing to do. All the staff of the church said amen to that. Where are you? No, just me. Okay. All right. So you get the idea, you know, is that the Levites and the priests here, these are the men that are called to go and serve in the tabernacle. And so Hezekiah is saying, let's not neglect this. Now, things have been shut down for a while, and he's now reordering and, and reestablishing just the divisions. There was the 24 divisions of the priesthood. So he's reestablishing these where they would come in on, on you know, shift work in a sense they would work like two weeks of the year then go back to their homes and continue to serve as priests and minister there in their homes but two weeks there to serve in the temple there so he's reestablishing all these things that has been established for them in god's word but then again has been neglected and so there's support that's to be coming in and look at verse five here it says this as soon as the commandment was circulated all right the commandment to support the people serving the temple. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid in heaps, in and verse 7, in the third month, They began laying them in heaps and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. I just love the picture of this here. I mean, these people are responding faithfully, right? Now, here's the thing. Again, we we read earlier how they were coming and just giving willingly and joyfully. That's what the Lord desires, right? But there was that... That command, even all the way back to Abraham's day where when he met Melchizedek, as we saw even on Wednesday night there, that he gave a tenth of all to this King Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, king of Salem, king of peace. And so he gives a tenth. And so there's this order set, you know, about setting aside and giving that to the Lord. And, and it's not something that, you know, God says, you need to do this because... I'm broke and I can't do anything without you. This is a way of really revealing what's in our heart. Are we trusting God? Are we willing to give over to the Lord? Because we need to understand, first of all, that everything we have has been given to us by God. It's his to begin with. We're, we're just, you know, we're just, it's just on loan to us in a sense. We're just called to be good stewards of what he's given us. But one way that we show, you know, our heart and, and our trust and faith in the Lord is to return part of that and say, God, I want to give this back to you. I want to give this to, to your use indeed to, to help and support those that are, are serving you and to serve and, and support the work that you're doing. That's what, what happens here at, at Riverside. You know, we don't make a big deal about bringing in offerings and, and tithes, but we believe it's biblical and we believe it's an act of worship that we do unto the Lord. 
And so we have boxes set up, you know, where you can come and do that. But we pray that you do that with a cheerful heart, with a glad heart. And you do that unto the Lord to say, God, thank you for what you've given to me. And thank you that I get to return part of this and, and see you use that to carry out your work. That's essentially what's happening. And so this is what's going on. And, and they're just seeing Heath for, for four months. So the third, the third month, I believe it was, or the second month, um, what was it? Somebody help me. The third month, yeah, they began laying up the heaps, right? Uh, believed to be the Feast of Pentecost. And then on the fourth month, they see on the Feast of Tabernacles now, they're, they're continuing to bring in, they, they end. And so there's been these several months that have happened where they're just bringing in faithfully of their goods and offering to the Lord. And as a guy comes in, he's just like, what is going on? There's just like mounds of goods, mounds of blessing, heaps of blessing that's taking place here, right? And look at what we see as we read on verse 9. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and Levites concerning the heaps. He's like, what does it deal with all this stuff? We've got like sacrifices, grain. We've got goods that has been poured. And what does it deal with all these heaps, right? And he's just questioning them. And Azari in verse 10, the chief priest from the house of Zadok answered him and said, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left for the Lord has blessed his people. And what is left is this great abundance. Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord and they prepared them. Then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Conaniah, the Levite, had charge of them. And Shimei, his brother, was the next. Jehiel, Azaziah, Nahath, Azahel, Jeremiah, Josebed, Eliel, Ismachiah, Mahath, and Benaiah were overseers under the hand of Conaniah and Shimei's brother at the commandment of Hezekiah the king and Nazari, the ruler of the house of God. Are you following? Y'all with me? You still here? Everybody awake? Okay. Kor, verse 14. Kor, the son of Imna, the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, was over the free will offerings to God to distribute the offerings of the Lord and the most holy things. And under him were Eden, uh, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amaria, and Shechaniah, his faithful assistants in the cities of the priests, to distribute allotments to their brethren by divisions to the great as well as the small. Besides those males from three years old, and up who were written in the genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division. Verse 17, and to the priests who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house and to the Levites from 20 years old and up according to their work by their divisions and to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them. For in their faithfulness, they sanctified themselves in holiness also for the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities in every single city, there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites. So this is just amazing to me. I love this picture because here Hezekiah just gives that word, right? Maybe the offerings, you know, in the past under his father's wicked uh, rulership have, again, the temple was shut down so people aren't, aren't following through these things. Now he's just bringing that command. And the people are just like, man, we are so excited to come and give. And they just start pouring it in over the last few months. And there's just heaps, so much so that the priests and Levites are saying, listen, man, we're full. We've, we've taken our portion. We've met our needs. And this is what's left over. There's an abundance left over. Oh, wouldn't that be so good? Oh, let's be praying for the Lord just to provide and supply our needs, not only ourselves, 
personally but corporately in the church that we can continue on just seeing the great work of god move forward in greater ways because of just the faithfulness of the giving and that's what causes things to really go here you know by the church coming together being the church and saying yeah lord i want to pour into the work you're doing this is not to support Brent and his dreams, right? We've got, like, we see people here. We've got many people that are taking part in the distribution, in the allotment, in the oversight of the giving. All these names that we mentioned are important because we see the great accountability there. And I'm so thankful for the accountability. I don't touch the offerings. I don't know who gave. I don't know any of that, all right? But I'm thankful for the people that take part in bringing oversight there and bringing accountability to all the offering and we pray over it and we thank the Lord for it and we pray for wisdom in how best to use this and we need your prayer as well for just wisdom on behalf of all those in, in leadership and elders here as we use this money and be good stewards of it so that we can see the work of the Lord continue on and that's the desire and that's what's happening here. But all oh, we pray, you know, Lord, just bring the abundance so that, again, we don't get comfortable, but so we can see a greater work move forward in, in what you're doing here, Lord, and what you desire to do. And so this is all that's going on. I'm thankful for all these names that are mentioned because here's the great thing I, I, I see in that is that the Lord knows every person that's taking part and serving the Lord. Don't you think sometimes that it's easy to kind of get in that place where we're like, oh, nobody cares what I do. Nobody's, nobody even knows what I do. Nobody's acknowledging me or thanking me. They don't, they don't care what I'm doing. But here's the great thing. God sees and God knows. And he's keeping a record of every name here that's taking part in these things. And I'm so glad for that. And, and I like even going back to verse 2, right? Where we see all these priests and Levites serving in the temple. And yet each of them, different functions, different roles that they had. And we all have different roles and functions. Look at the end of verse 2. There were those that were, you know, serving for the burnt offerings and peace offerings, taking care of the offerings that came in. Some just serving, right? Some that were giving thanks at the end of verse two and praising in the gates of the camp of the Lord. There were people that are just having different things. Some are just serving, right? Maybe just coming into the church and cleaning, cleaning toilets. Now that's, an, that's a very thankless job, right? That's a tough job. But guess what? Man, the Lord takes note of that. And the Lord sees that. I think there's going to be just a great reward in heaven for the toilet cleaners of this world. Like a greater, I mean, just say, come right up front of the line. Rewards you, toilet cleaner, come right up front of the line. Here we go. We're pouring that on you, man. That was a thankless job, but we are glad you did it. And God sees and God knows. There are those who are just serving. There are those who are just, they're giving thanks, you know? Just encouraging people in the church. There's those that are praising the Lord, maybe in a part of the worship team or just, you know, doing fulfilling their role in worship but we all have a part to play in the church here and god sees and god knows well let's continue on here verse 20 thus hezekiah did throughout all judah and he did what was good and right and true before the lord his god and in every work that he began in the service of the house of god in the law and in the commandment to seek his god he did it with all his heart so he prospered i love the way that chapter ends what do we see about his guy? He did his work with all his heart, meaning he just gave it his all. And he knew who he was doing it to because it says that he's doing it with all his heart or, or according to the commandment to seek his God. He's seeking God. He's serving the Lord in what he's doing and he's doing it with all his heart. And everything that he set his heart to do, he did it, right? 
I'm a kind of guy that loves to start things, but has a difficult time sometimes finishing them, right? My house is filled with lots of, you know, unfinished projects, which is why we just, you know, sell it and just walk away and say, someone else take care of that, finish it up now, right? But I'm sure we all like to do that sometimes. We start things, hard to finish, but, but Hezekiah, it says, you know, he did it. He did it, and he did it with all his heart. I remember hearing about a, a guy that was coming in to lay some carpet for a lady in her home, and, and he gets his carpet all laid out, gets it all done, and he looks and he realizes, Drop my cigarettes. I don't, where do my cigarettes go? And he looked at the carpet, and there's a, a little hump in the middle of the carpet. He's like, oh, my goodness. And he's thinking, that's going to be a whole lot of work just to go and get those cigarettes out. So he takes his hammer, and he just smashes it down, flattens it out nice and smooth. And then the lady comes over to settle the bill and says, oh, by the way, I found your cigarettes here. Now, if I can only find my hamster, he got out of the cage. <clears throat> so let's be sure that what we set out to do, we do with our whole heart and we do it under the Lord. That we're not just settling on, you know, mediocrity. We're not just settling on half-heartedness, but we're saying, Lord, I want to honor you through this. I want to serve you in this. And Hezekiah is a great model of that for us. I love that. And so he did it with all his heart, and so he prospered. There's a great link in there, isn't there? There's a great correlation there. I believe that the more that we are seeking just to serve God and do all things unto the Lord, and, and we know that that's the case, everything we do, we do unto the Lord for his service that's the way that we're going to prosper, you know. That's the way that God's going to bless the work. So we see here the people continuing in devotion in chapter 31. But now in chapter 32, we look at how now they're countering the enemy. And this is important because here's the thing. Well, let me just start here in verse 1. And it says this. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus, many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran throughout the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Let me stop right there. So take note of this here, people, because... Here's Hezekiah and the, and, and the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Hezekiah and Judah, they're experiencing a revival right now. Things are good, right? They are seeing the temple cleansed. They're seeing worship restored, offerings being brought in, Passover celebrated. They're seeing some great things, a great move of God. And it's in those times, I think, that we can easily get a little comfortable. That we can sort of begin to think, oh man, nothing bad can happen now. Look at us. We're back on track with God. We are walking in faithfulness. We are worshiping the Lord. Nothing can come against us now. Nothing bad can happen. But what do we read? After these deeds of faithfulness, the enemy comes. Understand something here, because I think it's very easy to feel that way, that when we are feeling really strong and secure in the Lord, we can kind of let up a little bit. But here's the thing to know is that the enemy never lets up. And in fact, it's in those times when we are experiencing revival, renewal, where we're seeing God doing great things, that the enemy is right there lurking all the more to try to trip you up and take you away from that work that God is doing. In other words, when we are seeing good things going on in our lives, how much more do we need to be on guard from the ever 
presence of the enemy lurking, trying to trip you up, tempt you and drag you down and take away what God is doing in your life. And we're seeing that right here with Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Now, the northern kingdom at this time, the 10 tribes of the north, now have been taken away captive by Assyria. His father now has gone and done that. And now Sennacherib comes in and he's like, well, we got some unfinished business with Judah. Let's take these guys down and bring them on into captivity as well. And so this is what's happening. Sennacherib is coming, but Hezekiah now, with great wisdom, what does he do? Well, he begins to consult his leaders, right? They begin now to really look to the Lord and how we need to do that. How we need to be those that are not just consulting one another, as important as that is, but to be consulting the Lord, to come to the Lord and say, God, I need your help here right now. And and may it not be something that we're doing as a reactionary thing, but that we're continually walking in that place of just, you know, abiding in the Lord and surrender to Him so that when the enemy comes, it's not something that we need to drum up and try to work up to get right with the Lord again. And so Hezekiah is here, and what does he realize? Well, let's make sure we don't leave anything available that's going to strengthen the enemy. And so Hezekiah notices now, we've got a a spring of water outside our gates. And of course, as this enemy, the Assyrians are moving along, making their way down to Judah, of course, they're going to need a break. They're going to need to get supplies. They're going to be looking for water. And so Hezekiah's like, I don't want to leave them our water. I don't want them to come and be strengthened so that they can continue to just come against us. So Hezekiah begins to kind of stop those things that might otherwise strengthen the enemy what are the things in our lives that maybe we've left unattended that we've left open where the enemy is able to kind of get us hooked into begin to poke and probably begin to use for temptation against us are there areas that we have not dealt with taking care of given our lord where we just left vulnerable left open for the enemy to come and have a way in we need to be aware of that we need to be careful of those things, because the enemy is looking for that foothold in our lives. So Hezekiah recognizes this. And so what does he do? This is an amazing thing now that takes place here in this story, in this account here, because what Hezekiah does is he knows he got this spring of water and it's coming, flowing into the city, but it's, it's the, the enemy outside the city would have access to it, all right? So knowing the need for water to stop it but also for their own need of water during a siege and that's what the Assyrians are looking to do lay a siege against Jerusalem and what the enemies would do what the these invading armies would do they would just cover around the whole kind of city and the walls and they would just stop all kind of water from going in food going in they would stop people from going out and getting supplies and so the people inside would eventually just kind of starve themselves or they become so weak that the enemy would easily be able to come in and invade them and attack them and overtake them so hezekiah's going i don't want to supply water for my enemy but i want to be sure that we're supplying the water for us so he says we need to find a way that we can get this water into our city without the enemy being able to have access to it so what he does is hezekiah now orders for this tunnel to be dug underground or in the ground in this rock basically now that would supply the water coming from the Gion Springs into and flowing to the the pool of Siloam where it would no longer be accessible for the people but that that water from the spring would continue to run into the city. 
And this is an amazing thing because this tunnel was kind of like an S-shape and it was 1,777 um, feet long, chiseling into the rock. And he had his men starting from one end here and then another group starting from this end over here. And they chiseled in, dug through until they kind of met up in the middle. How they did that, I have no idea. But we know one who's probably kind of the oversight, the project manager of that, and that's the Lord, right? And he's directing and he's leading. And it's so amazing. And how many people have had a chance to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel? A few of you. I've had a chance to do it. And it's so cool. I'm going to show you a video, and just a quick video in a second, just to give you a glimpse. I've had a chance to do it a few times. And it's one of the highlights going to Israel. But um, it's so interesting because as they're chiseling through, and just think about it, you know, they're doing this work, the enemy's bearing down, and they might be thinking all along, like, Oh my goodness, what's the point? Of is this ever going to work? Are we ever going to be able to get, this is a lot of work. But I love these guys that they just kept digging and they kept going. And you see, that's I think what we need to do, even in the midst of tough times, trials, tribulations, enemies bearing down, that we need to keep digging. We need to keep moving forward in the things of the Lord because eventually as we do, we're going to see that water flow, that water, that living water flowing in and refreshing and strengthening us. And that's what we see happening here with these people. But it's so neat because as you go into the tunnel, it's like pretty big, high ceiling, you know, they're like going, oh, this is going to be great, man. We're going to just take this. It's going to be awesome. And as you keep going further, further, it starts getting smaller and smaller. You get to see the idea of these guys, you know, children like, oh my goodness, we like took on way too much there. Let's just make this as small as we need to get. This is a lot of work. And so it just starts getting smaller and tighter and smaller. And you get to the middle where they finally meet up. And then as you walk through, it starts getting bigger and bigger back to the other end. So they just started really like, you know, grandiose plans. And as they get through it, they're like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of work here. Let's just do what we need to to get through this here. And so it starts getting smaller. It's very interesting. But here's this tunnel here. I'll see if we can get this plane here. What do I need to do? All right. Low ceiling there. That's in the middle. There's the water flowing through still today. Hey, buddy. Hi. <laughs> so good. So cool. So there's Hezekiah's tunnel right there. And this goes all the way back here to 2 Chronicles 32. Uh, you can read about it in 2 Kings as well. But uh, just such a thrill to be able to go through that and be right in the midst of Old Testament history. But we see and know, here's the reason why. Because Hezekiah is going, well, we don't want to strengthen the enemy. But we want to make sure that we're being strengthened in these things. So they keep working. They keep digging. They don't give up. They don't let up. They don't give up. They just say, Lord, we are trusting you. And God brings them right through together and takes care of them all. It's such a, a great thing. Well, look at verse 5 here as we continue on. And it says that he strengthened himself. He built up the wall that was broken, raced it up to the towers and built another wall outside. Also, we repaired the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria. 
nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. If you like to mark up your Bible, and I hope you do, man, you need to be marking up that verse right there. You need to highlight, underline, circle, whatever you need to do. And at the end of verse 8, the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Oh man, this is good. Hezekiah, what a guy. Because here he is now, the enemy's there, but they're taking care of He not just builds a tunnel, but he builds up the walls. He, he refortifies the wall in the city, builds up things around there. He, he makes weapons and shields in abundance, right? He's going on the defense and on the offense. He's not just sitting back. And how we need to realize how important putting on the armor of God is. Being able to defend, but also going on the offense. And we have that one piece of offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And how we need to live by and hold true to the word of God. But we need to be clothing ourselves daily in the armor of God, right? You know, taking up that shield of faith, that helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the gospel of the uh, the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so how we need to be daily saying, Lord, I need that armor God on because I'm going out into a world where the enemy is at work and the enemy is looking to bring me down and I want to be strengthened in you. And Hezekiah is doing just that, strengthening themselves in these things, but also giving a great word of encouragement because as much as we might see the enemy at work, what we get to know is that regardless of what's going on, regardless of the pressure that might mount by the enemy, Oh, we know that we have one greater than the enemy. Greater see that is in us than he that is in all the world. And I love what Hezekiah says here. There are more with us than there is with him. Guess what? You could be all alone against an army of 100,000 people. And if you're on the Lord's side, you can say this. Hey, there's more with me than there is with them. Because God always brings you into the, the majority, not the majority, but, the, but outnumbering whatever's against you. With them is just limited power, an arm of flesh. But with our God, there's unlimited power who is able to take on anything that would stand up against us. Amen to that? That's the God that we serve. That's the God we need to put our trust in. That's the God we need to encourage each other with. And Hezekiah is doing that. And the people are encouraged. Well, it says there in verse 9, After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. But he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lachish to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, in what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, you shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Verse 15. 
Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my father's. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Verse 16. Furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods and the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. And, verse 19, they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, the work of men's hands. Do you see the tactics here that the enemy is, de- is deploying? It's all just lies and deceit. It's all meant to just kind of come and threaten the people, but they're idle threats. Because Sennacherib is sending his, his men and they're, they're sending out word and they're basically saying, what do you think you guys are going to be able to do? We've gone and defeated all these other cities, all these other places. We've taken down their places of worship and their gods. We've, we've overtaken them. Hezekiah, he says, Hezekiah's already destroyed all these altars and, and, and places of sacrifice and idols. What do you have to rely on now? And so Sennacherib is coming in with just lies, deceit, with threats. It's not just like our enemy, Satan, to do that. He's the father of lies. And he's going to come in speaking boldly, speaking threatening words. But we have to understand they have no value to us. They hold no ground against us because we have a God that is the God of truth, the God of power, and the God that is our help. And we have to understand that what the enemy says is nothing but lies, nothing that we need to stand by or take or believe because all he's trying to do is utter threats and deceit against us. Sennacherib is doing just that. And he's trying to get the people shaking here. But we know what the truth is, that we have a God who is greater. We have a God that is for us. And he's on our side. And notice what we read here next. And I love it. Oh, verse 20. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Ammon, prayed. And he cried out to heaven, good thing to do. And he got threats coming against you. I mean, we need to take it to the Lord. We need to pray. We need to seek him. But then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. Thus, the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. Praise the Lord. God is good. So here's the story now. And you'll read this also in 2 Kings. I'll read this in Isaiah. But here's what it says in Isaiah 37, verse 36. It said that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So get this picture. Here's the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They're all hanging out in the city, and they've got this siege going on by the Assyrians. There's 185,000 of them outside their city walls. And they're sitting in the city thinking, it's just a matter of time before we're a goner. It's a matter of time before they come in and they overtake us. We're in trouble. That's how they're feeling. And yet Hezekiah is coming, he's seeking the Lord, trusting the Lord. 
And then one night, just that angel of the Lord, and we saw who that was here in our study on Wednesday night, right? This Christophany, this appearance of the Lord. Angel of the Lord comes, and he just wipes them out with one quick swoosh. And the inhabitants all wake up in the morning. They're like going out, going, well, let's see how close they're getting now. Let's see how many more they've added. They look up, and everybody, they're like, oh man, they're sleeping in today. What's going on? They better, well, don't wake them up. And they go in the afternoon, still sleeping, evening, still sleeping. They realize, these guys are dead. What's happened? The Lord has come to your defense. That's what happened. And the Lord has taken care of them and provided for them. 185,000 of them wiped out on one. Do you understand that whatever threat might be coming against you or how great the enemy might be looking against you, it is nothing for the Lord? It is nothing for the Lord to turn things around like that in an instant. And he does that right here. It's so good. So good. I'm so thankful for that. How we need to be seeking the Lord, trusting the Lord. Knowing that God's got this. Let that trust of the Lord be that and prayer be that that is just guiding us. Corey Ten Boom said, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Is it something you go to when you're in trouble or is prayer what's driving you and leading you? And Hezekiah, I see, is just a man of prayer that's seeking the Lord in these things, turning to the Lord and with great faith just sees God come through. So now, let's continue on here in verse 23. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. And in those days... Hezekiah was sick and near death and he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him for his heart was lifted up. Therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of desirable items. Storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of livestock, and folds for flocks. Moreover, verse 29, he provided cities for himself, and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very much property. The same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gion, brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David, as we've mentioned already. Hezekiah prospered in all his works. So here we see Hezekiah, now a situation arises, right? Isaiah, the prophet, comes to him and says, get your stuff in order, Hezekiah, because you don't have much more time. And, and Hezekiah is concerned about it. He's like, I'm not, not ready to go. And he prays and he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord says, all right, I'm gonna add you, I'll extend your life by 15 years. And, and Hezekiah asks for a sign. He says, Lord, just give me a sign of that. And God allows the, the sun and the, the, the shadow of the sun to move back a few degrees, right? And so God gives him this sign that God's going to take care of him. But, but when Hezekiah is calling out to him, he says, Lord, I will continue just to praise you and give you all the honor if you will do this thing. But then it says that his heart was lifted up. He didn't repay. It says he didn't repay according to the favor shown to what God had done Hezekiah began to get prideful. Now we're seeing that people have been giving him gifts and just kind of perhaps buttering up and Hezekiah began to get welled up a little bit with pride. 
and how easy that is to have happen even in our own lives. Pride is something that we have to be on guard of because again, just like the enemy, that's one of the chief things that the enemy brings our way to try to get us to trip up in is this idea of pride that you need to worry about yourself. You need to be concerned about you. You don't let anybody walk over. You don't let anybody talk down to you. You got to, and he tries to feed us with pride. Whereas, what does the Lord say? He says, if you want to come and follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Die to self. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of being focused on self. And yet, this is the very thing that the enemy fell prey to himself. All right, He's the one in, in heaven when he was that, that angel worshiper God that he wanted to be exalted. And he wanted his throne to be higher than God's. So he fell to pride. And this becomes one of those things that he quickly is trying to trip us up. And it's what we saw happen to Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26 when he got his heart lifted up with pride. He was strong, but when he was strong, then his heart was lifted up, it says, to his destruction. And wrath now is looming over Hezekiah and all Judah until he repented and he humbled himself, which he did. See, when we choose to walk in pride, we know that we are heading for a fall. Understand that the Bible is very clear that pride goes before destruction. Proverbs eleven twelve says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. May we be those that are consistently, constantly walking in humility, disciplining ourselves, laying ourselves down to say, God, I recognize that my life is nothing apart from you. So may my life be lived for your glory and praise, not for mine. Let me continue to know that I am nothing without you so that I give you all praise and glory, Lord, in all things, walking in humility. Well, chapter 32, or sorry, verse 32. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, indeed they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Hezekiah rested with his fathers and they buried him in the upper tombs of the sons of David and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Oh, I missed some verses, didn't I? We missed some verses about now, verse 31. However, regarding the ambassadors, the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that what was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So that's an interesting verse right there. And so Hezekiah invites those of the Babylonians, this emerging nation that's soon going to become the, the dominant nation in the world, this world power that's going to come and eventually lead Judah away into captivity. But Hezekiah mistakenly unwisely invites some of these ambassadors in and he starts to show them everything he's got brings them into the temple in the storehouse into all the treasuries and says look at all this that we've got it says the lord left him alone so as to test him so the chronicler without detail simply recorded that god allowed all this to test him and to know everything that was in his heart that is god wanted to show hezekiah himself the consequences of pride because after Hezekiah died he was buried with honor now among his father's his other deeds, the historian said, were found in the records of Isaiah and of the kings of Israel and Judah. And so we're going to know that the Babylonians know exactly what's sitting there in Jerusalem. And they're going to be coming in with a very, you know, purposeful attack here, knowing what's there. Because Hezekiah opened this up again to the enemy. Not wisely, but Hezekiah goes down as one of Judah's greatest kings. All right? He's honored in his death. He did many great things. He stumbled but he got right with the Lord, okay? So, just in closing, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and we're gonna close with a song here. 
few points of application for us in this. Let our worship be more than lip service, right? Let it be in action. May our service create heaps of blessings as we saw in chapter 31. People are coming in. They're not just coming in and just singing a song, paying lip service. They're coming in with goods, with, with blessing, to be a blessing to the Lord and to others. Secondly, even in our times of feeling spiritually strong, be on guard from the enemy because he's lurking and ready to pounce. When you feel most strong, understand that that's when we're often most weak. And we need to continue to rely on the Lord in those times. Thirdly, trust in the power of the Lord when your situation looks overwhelming because we serve a God of unlimited power. How good is that? Amen to that, everybody? Let's stand, let's pray, and then we're gonna just worship and close our service with one more song here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together in your word here. Thank you that we get to come and just sing your praises and exalt you and learn of you. Thank you that you are a God that is greater than anything else that comes against us. And Lord, we just want to come and be with you and be at your feet here now and worship you and continue just to be strengthened in you. And so we pray that that may happen here today as we end our time and we go out just with song here and may continue to just be with us and strengthen us now we ask in your name jesus amen